The hymn writer got it right when we sing fast bound in sin and nature's night. That's who we are before our Lord and Savior diffuses a quickening ray, shatters the chains, and we walk free. So once we do walk free, how do we deal with sin? That's the question we'll answer next here on Graceful Truth with Steve Converse. And again, greetings in Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, returns us to Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Message simply called, Just Stop It. What is it we're just stopping? Well, sin. And indeed, now that we are Christians, we do have the power to do what we were incapable of doing before being a Christian. And that's what Paul is writing about. Join us for more. Here's Pastor Steve. You can turn over to Romans chapter 6. We've been looking in Romans what it means to be justified. And, and that simply, <clears throat> if you had to define justification, it's God declaring us righteous. It's his declaration that we're righteous. It doesn't mean we're always righteous in our practice. We fall, we sin, that happens. And we're going to find out why today. But he has declared us righteous because of the work of Christ. If we put our faith, our trust in his work. Um, sanctification, on the other hand, is different than justification. Sanctification is basically a process that happens to a Christian that allows them to become more like Christ each and every day. Each and every day as a Christian, you should be becoming more like your Savior in thought, in word, in deed. And that's the process of sanctification. And we shared some principles of sanctification last week. So first of all, we said that sin is not dead in Christians. Okay? Even in the most mature and pious Christians, it's still not dead. Rather, it's always something that we have to struggle with. And then secondly, we talked about sin's hold on us. And the reason it has a hold on us is because of this body. That's why we have an issue with sin because we're still in this mortal body. That's kind of what we're going to look at today. And then thirdly, sin can reign in or dominate our bodies. And then fourthly, we said, although sin can reign and dominate our body, it doesn't need to. We don't have to yield to it. Although sin can reign and dominate in our bodies, we don't have to. And then fifthly, we said, this leads to the last and positive truth. As Christians, we can now offer parts of our body to God as instruments of righteousness. And we're also going to look at that today. And we talked about the different parts of the body, the mind, the eyes, the ears, the tongue, our hands, our feet. But the point of last week's message was really that sin doesn't have to reign anymore. And uh, you might ask the question, well, how do we stop it? <laughs> how do we stop sinning? Um, how do we continue to experience sin if you're saying that we don't, this doesn't have to be. And so we looked at the kind of the heading there in your outline. Don't let sin reign by following your lusts, but give yourself to God to live righteously under his grace. And we looked at the first one last week. And this is all review. To apply these commands, you must have to understand the first half of Romans 6, verses 1 through 11. 
And that's why it's, it's so important. He, he starts off here in verse uh, 12. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your bodies. Why? Because of what I just told you up to this point. That's Paul's point that he's trying to get across to us. And also, some of the points that he shared with us is all the way back to chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody in this auditorium that can say, oh, I've never done anything where I've never sinned. I'm perfect. If you were, you'd be God. And we know none of you are. But thankfully, God didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us under his judgment. He provided a way to to preserve his justice and yet still justify... Declare us righteous as sinners. And he did that by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to bear the penalty of our sin. What a wonderful message the gospel is. Formerly we were in Adam. We were steeped in our sin. Now we are in Christ. And we spent a whole message on what it meant to be unified with Christ. The mystic union that that when you become a Christian, you are made one with Christ, your Savior. And because of that... In verse 11, because we are one with Christ in his death, we're one with Christ in his resurrection, we're one with Christ in the newness of life. Now he says in verse 11 there, now you have to consider or reckon or calculate yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so by the time we got to verse 11, we know that we have died and risen again. That's what the Bible says. And we've dealt with that in the first 10 verses. And so now we're talking about walking in the newness of life. Well, how do you do that? And last week I used the illustration of Lazarus. When he came out of the grave, the Lord had to say, take all those grave clothes off him. He doesn't need those grave clothes anymore. And sometimes Christians get a little messed up and they think that they need to still walk around in grave clothes. That's why... He says throughout this text that we have to know these things to be true. These are spiritual facts that we have to believe. And we talked about what it meant to know these things. He says it in verse 3. He says it in verse 6. He says it in verse 9 of Romans chapter 6. And so he's kind of coming to the point where he says, because you know of these things... And then the second word we looked at was the word consider. And he says there that because you know, the, <clears throat> you know these things and you understand these things to be true, that verse 11, so you must consider, you must reckon yourselves dead to sin. Because we've risen with Christ in his resurrection, therefore we walk in the newness of life. The power of sin, the power of death has been conquered That's why in verses 9 and 10, Paul takes extra effort to point out that Christ died once. He doesn't need to die again. We don't need to kill Jesus every time we have a service here, when we have communion. Jesus says that at the end of his time on the cross, he says, it is finished. He didn't say, hey, I'll be back next week and we'll do this all over again. He didn't say that. I was raised in a church where that's what I was taught, that every every Sunday, every Mass, the priest would take the, the host and he'd hold it up and he'd bring Christ from heaven down upon the altar. That's what they're symbolizing. That's why they do that. And they would re-sacrifice Christ every mass. That's why it's called a mass. That's why they have an altar. 
We don't have a mass. We don't have an altar. This isn't holy ground right here. This is the same kind of ground that you're sitting in. You know, it's the same thing. And, and sometimes we get confused over uh, certain things to think that because of our religions teaches certain things, we just declare them to be so. And that's not true. When Christ died, we died. And because he paid the penalty of sin, literally, we were with him. We paid that penalty with him. And sin has no longer a claim on the believer. And not only is the penalty paid, but the power of sin is broken. That was the whole point. That sin doesn't have to have dominion over us anymore. We now live in the newness of life. We're a new creature in Christ, the Bible says. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're not who we used to be. And so he took great length to point that out. And we just want to be reminded of the simple fact that when we know these things to be true, because the Bible says so, that deals with our mind, right? And then we said, but when we say consider these things, that deals with our heart. You're actually having to believe those things. It's a, it's a faith fact. Nobody, none of us were there when Jesus died. Nobody here was there at least hopefully you weren't. You'd be pretty old. And so, you know, nobody was there. We didn't see it. But you believe it. Why? Because the Bible says it. Nobody was <clears throat> there at the creation of the world. And yet, it's funny how evolutionists think that, boy, they, they just have fact. That's just fact. It's not fact. It's not even science. It's hocus pocus if you want to believe that. And you've all heard the illustration of somebody taking a watch and taking it all apart, taking all the parts apart and putting them in their pocket and shaking it up. You know, you wouldn't pull another watch out. A watchmaker has to put the watch together. That's just, it's just common sense. And yet the world teaches that as science. And if you believe in creation, oh, you're small minded. You're not, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And so the word no deals with the mind. The word consider here in our text deals with the heart. So we have to know something intellectually before you can believe it, right? I mean, you can't believe in something you don't know. That would be silly. And so another word for consider would be to affirm. You're affirming through your heart that, you know what, these things are true. And uh, we looked at basically a couple reasons why people don't believe those things. And sometimes um, people don't realize because they've never heard of it. Secondly, because Satan doesn't want them to believe it. Thirdly, um, because the reality of the new birth is not experiential. In other words, when you come to Christ and you are saved, it's not like bells and whistles go off and, and you know, there's a halo over your head and there's angels appear from heaven. And yeah, Paul, you, you know, it's not experiential. I mean, you may be broken in your sin and you may be very emotional or you may be simply, you know what, I need to do this. And you commit your life to Christ. It's not an experience. It's not physically observable or verifiable. You could come to me and say, you know what? Last week I came to Christ and I got saved. What am I supposed to say? Okay, great. My attitude is let's wait and see. Because <laughs> just because you're saying it doesn't mean it to be true. I can't see 
I can't hold you up to a Christian x-ray machine and say, oh yeah, there I see Jesus in your heart. He's in there. That's ridiculous. But that's what we, we think. That's the terminology we use. And so we just assume when certain people say certain things that, well, it must be fact. When a lot of times we should say, well, that's, that's great. That's, I'm glad you're making a profession of Christ. You need to get in the word and you need to grow. Because the Bible says if you're a new Christian, you're going to desire the pure milk of the word. Just like a little baby would desire the mother's milk. So it's not something that is experiential. And then the last thing we looked at, the fourth thing was we have this continual sin problem. We have this continual battle with sin. So how do we deal with this? You know, if, if we're dead to sin and did, sin doesn't have dominion over us, it has no power, no reign over us. Why are we still dealing with sin? Well, there's good news because the Apostle Paul had the same problem. If you read a little bit further into Romans 7, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but we'll get there eventually. But he says this, the things I don't want to do, that I do. (laughs) And the things that I want to do, I don't do. And he kind of sums it up, that whole text there in Romans 7. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. He's just frustrated with himself. And that's every Christian. There are times when we want to do the right thing. But if we're honest with ourselves and with others, there are times when we want to do what's wrong. And usually we end up doing it. That's called sin. We don't always do the right thing. There's that war going on. There's that struggle. And a lot of people say, well, that's the old you and the new you, and they're battling it out. And we've proved that not to be true because the old you is dead. It's buried. It doesn't even exist. When you come to Christ, all things become new. And I remember when I first began this little series in Romans, some of you after the service said, well, I don't understand. You're saying that it has no dominion, it has no power, but why isn't it an issue in my life and other people's lives as a Christian? You struggle with that. How do you explain that? If the old nature is dead, why are we still dealing with sin? Well, that's what we're going to answer today. But before we do, I want to point out a couple practical things of simply knowing these facts and considering these facts to be true. How does this affect us? And these aren't in your outline, and uh, hopefully they'll be on the screen, but uh, they're not in your outline. But the first one is this. Okay, these are basic, important, practical results of considering yourself dead to sin and alive to God through Christ. First of all, we can have confidence in the midst of temptation. You can actually have confidence in the midst of temptation. Knowing that when sin's power is broken, you can successfully resist it in God's power. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul says this, No temptation has what? Overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation, will provide a way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. There's never a temptation, beloved, that you cannot, in the power of God, have victory over. It's just not true. You have to understand, sin is not your boss anymore. He doesn't have the right to boss you around. He's not your Lord. He's not your tyrant. Christ is. So to know that and to affirm that 
means that you can have confidence when you're faced with temptation. Temptation is not sin. There's nothing wrong with being tempted. If temptation was sin, we'd have a problem with Christ being tempted, right? Because Christ would have sinned. But no, giving in to temptation, that's when you cross the line. That's when you sin. And so it's very important to understand that there's no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to man. You're not going through anything that somebody else hasn't gone through. And for the first time in your life as a Christian, you have power to say, you know what? No, I don't think so. I'm not going to yield to that temptation. You can be confident in your temptation. Secondly, we have confidence that we cannot sin our way out of God's grace. (laughs) You say, well, what do you mean by that? You can be confident as a Christian if you put your faith, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. You can be confident that when you do sin, you're not going to lose your salvation. I mean, in all of our lives, sin creeps in now and then. And sometimes we obey it. Even though we don't have to, we do. For whatever reason. But one thing that sin cannot do, it can't take you back from God. It can't cancel out your salvation. You're never going to have to pay the penalty again because Christ paid the penalty for sin. It's done. That's why he says in verses 9 and 10, Christ died and he died once and he will never die again. And because that one death provided that one penalty and broke the power of sin, even in our sinning, when we, when we fall, when we fail, we can have confidence that, you know what, this isn't forfeiting our salvation. It's not forfeiting our redemption. And when you're able to consider yourself dead to sin, then you can have confidence in that temptation. And you can have confidence even in sin. (laughs) He says in verse 27 of John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. And then he says this, They shall never perish. He doesn't say, If they stop sinning, they shall never perish. He just says, They shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my father's hand who has given them to me because he's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So it's important that we understand that we are secure in Christ. We don't have to go to bed at night worrying, oh, boy, you know, I failed today. I wonder if, you know, I'm going to go to hell. No. Thirdly, when we truly consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ, we can have confidence even in the face of death. Yesterday, Danny did a memorial service here for one of his friends from work. And he talked about death. He talked about how, you know what, death is going to happen to every one of us, pending the Lord's return. And death has a way of waking us up a little bit. You know, when you walk away from a a casket in a graveyard, and they're putting dirt on top of it, and you realize that person's not coming back. They're dead. That kind of helps you... Maybe reprioritize your life a little bit. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Not one of us. We could die today. We could die right now. But we have to have confidence when we face death. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five and 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Wow. I mean, you know, you can have confidence when you face death. You know, I don't, I don't look forward to death. You know, I don't look forward to the process of dying. I just pray it's quick and painless, but, you know, you never know. I don't look forward to that. But I have confidence knowing that somehow God would get me through that. And that there will be a day, one day when I breathe my last, my eyes are closed, and I'm not going to be in this body anymore. And I'll be in his presence. I can say that with confidence because that's what the word of God says. I mean, can you imagine if you didn't have confidence in the face of death? Oh, you know, what if this happens? What if I'm crossing the street and a car hits me? What if I go to a restaurant and eat some bad food and die? What if, you know, you could, you could just spend hours and waste years of your life worrying about things that have no effect on anything. We have to have confidence in the face of death. So we have confidence in temptation. And we have confidence that even in my sin, I'm not going to lose my salvation. I have confidence in the face of death that it will no longer have a hold on me. And I think that ultimately, when you're freed from fearing temptation and you're freed from facing death and seeing these kind of things go on around you, uh, that frees up a lot. I mean, the Bible tells us very clearly that we should not be, as Christians, worrying about this, worrying about that. Worry is sin. We don't like to hear that, but that's what it is. And it needs to be confessed. And it needs to be repented of. And you can't do that if you're, if you're not considering yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says. That's a permanent state for the Christian. We're in Christ. We're made one with Christ. John MacArthur says there's not another religion in the world that claims that fact. In his commentary, he says, I don't hear... People who are Buddhists say, oh, I'm in Buddha. <laughs> or I'm in Muhammad. Or I'm in Confucius. They don't say that. It's only Christianity that says that. Because Christ taught that. And Paul taught that. Well, the fourth thing we know, that regardless of what happens in this life, no matter how disastrous it may be, God will use it not only for his glory, but for our blessing. doesn't matter what it is. You could say, well, what if I was in a car wreck and I was paralyzed the rest of my life? God will somehow use that for his glory and for your betterment. Well, what if I get cancer and, and I, God will use it for his glory and his betterment? What if my child gets sick and, and, and passes away? God will use it for his glory and his betterment. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Either you believe God is sovereign over these things or you don't. And Romans 8.28 says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. He doesn't say, We know that God works all good things together. He doesn't say that. He says, All things. The good, the bad, the ugly. Everything. And we need to, as Christians, not just know that, but consider that, affirm that, believe that to be true. Believe what Ephesians 1 3 says that He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. 